Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good afternoon, everywhere. Everywhere. There will be monsters, and I'm going to find them. Anyways, welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Nope, International. I'm Ron Kolick, and with me all the way from England is the gold standard of ghost hunting, Steve Parsons. Well, that went wrong, didn't it? It always goes wrong. <laughs> I've just Good got afternoon. too much stuff. I'm ready I to retire. Know. So busy. Such a I busy am retiring. I'm oh, good. Last year, last year, and then I'm hanging it up. I don't blame you. It's, uh, you know, I get like that sometimes. Mm. Mm. It's like beating your, yeah. It's like it's like beating yourself over. I was I was at a conference at the weekend. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, it wasn't a bad conference. Um, you know, it had a mix of people. There were psychics, there was media. Oh, this, this was stuff. the one we had the on the That's show right. last week. Um, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Frank, like, yeah. Frank let's hear Daniel about in that. the lighthouse. Yeah. I, I, and, um, there was it was it was the UFO the Newport UFO and Paranormal Conference. It was the first year, mm-hmm. and it was it was oversubscribed. Um, was quite a good quite a good turnout. There was a number of small there was a small number of stalls there available. Mm-hmm. Uh, Organisation was fine, um, perfectly well run. Um, the speakers included uh, all kinds. Well, yeah, it was a broad mix. I mean, you know, it, it, there were people who were uh, from the UFO networks. There was uh, several well-known psychics and mediums. There were people who, uh, uh, you know, a range of conspiracies and alien uh, phenomena and, um, and and me from, you know, the ghost hunting community. Um, and there was, you know, in, in the... Uh, uh, room uh, in amongst the, the numerous sellers of crystals and um, sages and incenses and mm-hmm. inspirational rocks with mottos painted on them. I love those. <laughs> or as I used Solid to call it, as a rock. Yeah, or as I call it, inspirational driftwood. Mm. Collected off the... Hey, it makes a quid. Yeah, yeah it does. Anyway, um, there was one paranormal group there. Uh, really? Had all the wares on display. I can't oh, exciting, Spe- exciting. Spectracide. Spectracide. Yeah. Ghost killer. I love it. Ghost killer. Yes. Yeah, spe- oh, sorry, spirit no, killer. Sorry. What no, are the other? Skepticide. Oh, skep- skepticide? Skeptic, as in skeptic, skepticide paranormal. Oh, I like I like the other one better. That was better. Yeah, but skepticide. Like <laughs> and uh, they had. I might had, change the name of my group to that. I like that know, one. It's uh, as you can imagine. Um, on the they were the bunkers. I take it. Uh, the opposite. Um, Wait a minute. They think, were skepticide. They were skeptics. Skepticide. Skeptic killers. Yeah. Oh, I get it. No. <laughs> wow, it takes yeah. a long time. I'm not having a good today. No, today. well, you I can apologize. You, you can. I mean, you can guess the sort of stuff that they had on like display on their table. Um, they had the full range of uh, equipment. Oh, uh, tell me, tell me more. What kind well, of they had 
they had the they had the REM pod, they had the K2, they had the Ghost Meter Pro. Um, no way, not the Ghost Meter yeah. Pro. The ghost, the very same. They explained they their, how it worked. Uh, they gave a good demonstration of how they thought it worked. Mm, okay. Um, they um, they had an SLS type camera based around a Kinect and a and a, and a tablet computer. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they were uh, mm. they were everything you expect them to be. Um, I wasn't disappointed. Um, you know, I set my sights very low, <laughs> and, they did, and they didn't disappoint. Um, but there we are. Uh, my talk, my talk, which was um, what were they doing there? Just curiously, what, what was I doing there? No, what were they doing there? Oh, they just had a table display. Um, they weren't doing any presentations or talks. No, I, I know that, but, well, I mean, were they hawking something, or were they... No, know, they were just uh, promoting... They were, they were just promoting themselves and their investigations and what they do. Huh? Um, and, you know, I mean, individually, they were very nice people. I'm not saying they were. Um, you know, I, I mean, we, we, would, we would obviously disagree on many of the aspects of their investigations, but, you know, as, as individuals... They were, they were we should have them on the show so they can explain all about the skepticide. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, do you know what? I just failed to get their email address. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> um, yeah, I, then I did my talk. I was first on after lunch. Uh, it's a slot I actually quite like. Uh, I quite I quite like that slot, the first after lunch slot. Yeah. Um, and um, it was it was. I wish well I received. could offer it to you this year at SpurQuest. But, mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I'll have that slot then. Thank you. No, I said I wish I could offer it to you. But you just did. No, I didn't. I said you, I wish I could. Wish you know, I could you're, play you're it wish. back. It says wish I could. Your wish, but your I, wish can yeah. come true. No. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. If you want the fire pit built in the computer and your printer, uh, fire pit's all set. Computers all set. We're all set. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, my talk went down well. The packed room. Um, the same number of people were still in the room as when it started. Uh, there was no snoring. Nobody fell asleep. There was sufficient mm. laughter. There were some good questions afterwards. Uh, it was a challenging talk for many because, as you know, um, what well, was, was it on? Uh, it was on. It was. A, it was an examination on the state of modern ghost hunting. Um, ah. I don't. I don't want to give too much because I'm bringing a version of it with me later oh, in, the, in the fall. Lucky us. Um, oh no, it's a, it's it's packed full of humour. Oh yeah, lucky us. You, you know me. I mean, I don't do dull, dull and boring talks. All right. So you say. Well, anyway, um, it it was also a bit risque, but. Oh. I think I think in some respects. So what, you have the I, upskirt shop in your book in there? No, um, <laughs> but what I do enjoy and what I, what I notice uh, consistently is that when you, when I go to these events and when I do these talks and presentations, it's often the psychics and the mediums who are much more open uh, to consider other possibilities than ever the ghost hunters are. Um, you know, with the ghost hunters, it's almost like you're you're preaching to you know somebody with closed eyes and ear defenders on. They they don't want to hear what you've got to say. They don't oh, want to change what they want to do. But when you talk to groups or, or individuals who, who investigate the paranormal, but from a psychic perspective, they they're much more open to other possibilities. Mm. I've always found that to be the case. They're, they're very much more receptive 
to new ideas, new possibilities, and even to to constructive criticism. Um, and you know, a discussion about what what they could do to improve, or how you know how they need to they they could look at things in in a slightly different way. But with ghost hunters, you just don't seem to get that. They seem to be a very closed down bunch of individuals. Because they already know everything. Well, I, yeah, that's the frustrating thing because they just don't. I don't. We don't. I don't. I'm exactly. learning all the time. Exactly, but these people don't seem to want to. This new generation don't seem to want to, unless it's unless Zach's doing it on television, then they don't seem to think it's relevant to what they're doing. It's it's very frustrating. Yes, it is. Very, very frustrating. Um, but it is, I mean, you know, in a positive way, there was a gentleman there who has been, um, he, he was a, uh, he's been running his own development circle, uh, Red Light Seances, very similar to what you've been doing. He's been doing it for four years with the same ah. group of individuals. Ah, and we were, over we five were for me. We were talking uh, about how he's getting on, and, um, and he was asking about, uh, the Skull Experiment and others with these long-term red light seances. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, over, uh, after after my talk had finished, we spent oh, a good hour, hour and a half, talking about ways in which he can introduce better controls and things that he can measure, um, like introducing thermometers and, and types of cameras and ways he, he can prevent um, inadvertence or even, you know, outright fraud t- from taking place. No way. Um, well, it does happen. Um, kill it. Well, actually, it wouldn't. Because who, it would have, its, who would have well, fun? Well, it didn't. Because <laughs> if you consider the Skull experiment, what, one thing that the Well, you know, we throw that out there. Why don't you explain that, what that is, uh, Steve? Well, it's a very long thing. People can, people are best, you know, if they want to find well, out... Just do in, a quick synopsis, please. Well, well, Skull took place at um, a farmhouse, the Skull farmhouse in Norfolk, England. Um, and it, it, last, it, it took place over a number of years with the same group of sitters. Um, but they worked with members of investigators from the SPR alongside of them and the investigators from the SPR um, introduced more and more levels of control into the experiments and it ended up with many of the investigators becoming uh, firmly firmly convinced that things uh, you know untoward things were in fact taking place during the seances mm-hmm. you know they they, they, they they put in instruments they, they introduced controls over object movement uh, they put things into sealed canisters and into sealed boxes and containers for the full details people you know it's a very long and quite an involved investigation um, and people can you know probably better serve by looking it up for themselves if they just google skull s-c-o-l-e the Skull Experiment. Um, now, Robin Foy, the, one of the leaders Spell of... Spell it again, Steve, I'm sorry. Skull, S-C-O-L-E. S-C-O-L-E. Yeah. Okay, there you and go. Robin Foy, one of the leading members of the Skull team, um, has subsequently relocated to Spain, where he's seeking to uh, establish a new sound circle and a new series of experiments. But what was crucial about the Skull Experiment, uh, which made it unique and noteworthy, was the fact that it worked hand-in-hand with sceptical investigators from the SPR. 
um, and that these investigators and those who were part of the seance group uh, worked together on closing down um, the potential loopholes, which made the, the results that they were gaining far more credible and yeah, of interest important. to research. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you just, if you want your, and this is what I was saying to um, Brian, um, the, the guy with his own seance circle, that mm -hmm. by introducing quite simple degrees of control, uh, you can you can demonstrate that um, the phenomena is more interesting, is more plausible. Because, um, for example, he said that we were talking about introducing and using cameras, and he was considering doing it at some later stage. And I said, well, if you surely if you do it now, at the earliest stages, the earliest stages before things really you know start to get going. Mm -hmm. You, what you'll sit, be able to show is the progression of the phenomena, rather than Absolutely. just rather than just you know presenting it as a da da moment right at the end because the skeptics will have a really hard time with that because it's rather like you know when we did uh, mathematics at school or, or science you all you know if you show your workings out people can better understand the conclusions that you're coming to. Uh, one of the things that he hadn't considered measuring in any at all uh, was temperature, um, and it's he was saying that lots of people have reported the room gets hotter or colder and that yes. they feel warmer or colder. He said, "But I said, well, have you got any measurements of that?" And he said, "That never occurred to us." Hmm. And it's a very and you know temperature is a very simple, very affordable, inexpensive thing to measure. Um, you know that that will add uh, to the knowledge base because if somebody is saying I feel hotter or colder or the room feels hotter or colder and you can document and measure that, then you're adding weight to the um, evidence pile. Right. So you're gaining greater credibility. So it's not about shutting down the phenomena. What it, what it is all about, adding these controls and adding these extra layers, is about reinforcing the credibility of the data that you are collecting. I agree. And we had a fantastic sort of hour, hour and a half, talking about simple ways in which he can improve um, the quality of the evidence that, that they're providing at the sound circle. Right. See, so, you, you, know the, you, know, you know the... the 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 problems I have with with mine. Oh yeah, 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 and so it's difficult. Uh, I I like that idea, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely should be more controls involved in it. Well, Brian, interestingly, Brian, um, where they meet again monthly, uh, like your like your group, they also use a community hall that they have no ownership of. And that uh, they have to set up and dismantle um, for right. each of the seances, and he says, you know, he said that that is one of the major problems that they have to overcome. He said, plus um, there are some individuals within their seance group whom they're not entirely certain about. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, the problem. We have the... when any time you introduce the human. The human person. <laughs> it's Cal again. What can I tell you? I know. Every week. It's the same. We're going to have to get him on just to shut him up. Oh, God. I'll have to invite him on the show just to shut him up. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, I am so sorry about that, Stephen. I always mean to shut that one. I always shut the other phone off, but not that one. <laughs> oh God, yeah. And anyways, um, yeah, we talked about seances. Uh, yeah, I do apologize. Indiv- the the individuals at seances, because they are—I mean—they're absolutely necessary and absolutely vital for the success or failure of the seance. Uh, but oh, they are—they they are the great unknown, aren't they? You can control the placement of equipment. You can control where the table and the ob- other objects are. You can place cameras and thermometers, but you don't really have any control over the people. I agree, and, and that's uh, that's difficult. That's a I mean, you, can, you can hand pick people, but then are you? I don't know. Even that restricts what you're doing i guess yeah. Yeah. yeah um so i mean we, we you know brian and i talked about these and we we he went away um and i believe that he's going to introduce some very simple low level controls um mm. an additional camera rather than the one um that they've been currently using um some he, he, i think he was going out to get some simple thermometers as well um, to well, start to try and document some of the things that were taking yeah, place. It's simple to mama, so it, it, when, unless you're recording it, it really is it, difficult. It's, it, do, does he do his seance in the dark, or is it? Yes, it's a red light seance. He must be doing it in the dark. Uh, yeah, it is. It's 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 in lighting conditions, not dissimilar to the ones that you do. Not completely so, dark. So therefore, you get difficulties with with those type of thermometers. Well, I mean, uh, a, a data logging thermometer now you can buy a reasonably good one yeah, for yeah. under fifteen dollars. That's why I love my little, you know what, my ED meter. Yeah, I mean, it is vis- it is visible in the dark, which is which is well. Good. To be honest, you don't really need to read it there and then. What you need is, I mean, the, the EDI meter is great for having that that display that you can see, mm-hmm. but the data logs you can just you know if you. Have oh, to, totally to, agree, but then you, you got you don't you need to make sure about. you document the phenomena. Uh, but I know that you are doing because I know that you're running cameras the entire time. Right. But I, so I was talking about you have a running time base. If you know, you can compare. If everything is coordinated and properly. Yeah. I mean, Jim. Jim does a fantastic job monitoring everything and keeping right. you know tabs on things. So, if you if you do get people saying um, reporting changes in temperature, then it's going to be relatively straightforward to compare that with the data data from a temperature logger. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right. So. I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs> All right, so I, I think that's that's interesting. About did some of, did did he talk to you about some of the research that uh, some of the phenomena that has occurred? Because I was uh, about that. Um, we didn't go we didn't go into any great detail. No details. Um, oh, okay. And that was mainly due to the 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 other people that were around. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think there was a reluctance on his part to be overheard. Uh, and it wasn't a place where you could really go into a quiet corner. There were no real quiet corners in the in the patient. Yeah. Uh, so, but I got the impression that they were having some some interesting things, but but nothing uh, on any great scale. It was still very low level. Um, and although they've been going four years, um, they've had an, uh, one or two breaks. Um, 
short breaks and changes of personnel down the you know changes of uh, people. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can really, honestly say we have not had any breaks in, in the over the five years. Well, when I say breaks, I mean, but uh, however, we we have had different people, which yeah. By breaks, I don't mean like months on end. I mean like you know where you've got because it's a publicly owned building, space is in. There are times when he can't access it, or uh, there are public holidays or things where you know that prevent him. So, out of each out of each year, he might you he might lose a couple of months, so a couple of sessions in each year. You know, other than uh, in, in, in the five years that we've been doing this, the, probably the most profound thing to happen, and we're not talking about uh, spirit communication as far as whatever comes through and all that stuff, but physical uh, stuff would would be that spirit lamp that you gave me uh, on one of your trips over here when it, it lit up by itself and, and shut off by itself, which is uh, – uh, was intriguing and it's never been duplicated again but and it's uh, certainly not 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 easy for it to do it either i mean it can be manipulated but you have to go yes. out of your way to manipulate it mm-hmm. um and you know you have to and, and and it led up to someone who had never been there before and it was their yeah. first only time there so that was intriguing in itself uh and so yeah that's that to me is probably the most Profound yeah, physical, physical yeah. evidence. Uh, there's been lots of, you know, uh, uh, spirit communication, I guess you would say, um, that different items that have come up and, um, you know, uh, have been brought forth. And and it w- the good thing with Jim there is is a lot of the the information we can uh, verify, uh, not. Uh, that's right. But yeah, which certainly, is, I mean, what is it, three or four cameras that you have normally? Right, sort of, but, but as far as information that, that comes through on these seances, yeah. they can be verified. Like, mm-hmm. uh, to, I mean, we had a, a weird experience, last one, and uh, basically we were what this is just take it for what it's worth this information came through and uh it was a, a particular person that gave us their information we even got the name and everything else and when they they asked the question if if he was uh dead uh it said no and when jim did the research at the time this gentleman was actually still alive so <laughs> Then well, that's not unusual. Um, no, really? Okay, I thought, you know, I, I, no, you would have some no. information on this. Gosh, um, seances were, were the communicating... Uh, wait a minute, are uh, we on for, ready for a break or something now? Uh, no. Hmm. Seances took place in the in the early sort of 20th century. Um, there were occasions that were documented where the communicating spirit was somebody who was alive. Um so- how how does that work? If you it, it, you know just it's well, all hypothetical. Hypothetical. How how is it explained? Well, the how isn't explained. Um, but but one thing that did come across is this idea, uh, and it was it was formulated at the time or postulated at the time by the researchers, where uh, they were doing these uh, very interesting experiments where they would um, these weren't taking place at seances, but they were thinking about each other or thinking about visiting one another. Um, 
and variously and quite frequently these thought forms these apparitions of one another would appear um so for example a and b would lie in bed at night and they would you know uh, right at the, you know sort of think about visiting each other and it was quite common for one to report the other the apparition of the other appearing Oh, that's pretty I, good. I mean, it's, uh, it's more this, than this, this idea of thought transference or thought form transference or appari- thought apparitions uh, was actually quite common in the early 20th century, uh, a form of telepathy extending into apparitions. Right. And I mean, there, there, are, there are many, uh, many reports. I, I'm, one of them, I think I believe it's in my book, Goes the Day, was uh, it happened to a, a, uh, a couple in England. Uh, their son was aboard, I forget the name of the ship, it was a battleship in uh, the Mediterranean, and the ship was destroyed, and he drowned, and he appeared in the the bedroom at the mm-hmm. same time that uh, the ship went down. Well, those crisis apparitions, are incre- they are the most common form of all uh, types of apparition experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly, and there was one that took place... Uh, ten, 10 years or so ago mm-hmm. um, and it involved an airliner that was leaving Canada for Europe for Geneva it was from Montreal to Geneva I think it was an air transat flight and a, an Airbus A3 A300 um, now this, this, air, this aircraft managed to run out of fuel mid-Atlantic due to very poor planning there I would very, say well it was actually down to pure, uh, poor planning but Nonetheless, several hundred miles from the nearest landfall, this thing, uh, this plane, ran out of fuel, and the engine stopped. Now, the pilots managed, somehow, uh, to glide the airliner more than a hundred and something miles and land on Ascension Island um, in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, Just, you know, the the last sort of gasp got it onto the runway. While the whilst the aircraft was descending and gliding, the passengers were obviously aware that the engines had stopped and the, the situation was extremely serious. Yeah. The mother of one of the passengers reported his apparition standing at the foot of her bed and documented really? the time. He this survived. Was documented? Yeah. He lived. Mm-hmm. He lived. He was so, he so his he was, and he said afterwards, I was thinking about my parents because I thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, this isn't this go along with with, you know, uh, the astral projectors and mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. believe that they can astral project. Uh, and well, also possibly. even the, even even uh, the government work in the um, what do you call that? Oh, I can't think of it. Remote viewing. Remote viewing. Remote viewing yeah. Or possibly they're all linked together. Some faculty of the human mind that we don't yet understand. Hmm. Well, we're coming up to the break and. We'll let you think about that for a minute or two. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find it fascinating, and uh, especially remote viewing is is, is intriguing in, in a lot of cases. Anyways, there's the music, so we're going to take a break. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Boss and Ron Cola right here on Tojanet and PowerX Radio. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. The creepy and the kooky, mysterious and spooky, they all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Ghost Chronicles International with me, the gold standard in ghost hunting, and New England's own Van Helsing. And before the break, I was referring to a flight, and during the break, I managed to confer- look check the details. I, I'm changing my name now. Are you? I'm going to be Van Ahab. Okay, and uh, New England's own Van Ahab, the sea yeah. serpent hunter. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, the the flight concern was a transat flight two three six. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was from Toronto um, to Portugal. Uh, the Airbus A330 uh, ran out of fuel on August 24th, 2001, caused by a uh, an imp- a fuel leak due to improper maintenance. The pilot managed to glide the plane to an emergency landing in the Azores, um, a distance of some ridiculous bloody distance he glided. Um, um, bah, 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 bah. Anyway, a very long way. Yeah, very uh, long, doesn't it? Yeah, a very long way. Um, and landed with only inches to spare on the runway. Um, but what was most interesting about that, uh, people can, can Google the details, it was nicknamed the Azores Glider. And in fact, the, as of May last month, the plane is still in service with Air Transat. Um, ah, that's good. But, but no, I just want to go on that one. Yeah, but nonetheless, um, what was interesting about that, and it was it was covered in the program that, that was made, one of the programs that was made about it, um, which I think was on the, um, I think it was on the Discovery Channel. Um, there were several programs made about it, uh, made about this particular. I like to call it the Junior BBC. Yeah, uh, Crash Investigation or uh, mm-hmm. Mayday or one of the other programs that dealt with this particular flight uh, actually had an interview with the mother of one of the passengers. And she um, gives this account of her son appearing at the foot of her bed in the middle of the night because obviously the flight was taking place during the night. And she right. woke up exactly. in the night to see him standing there, looking silently standing there. And then he, he, he turned and faded away. Um, but he survived, and he said that at that time, um, 
while the plane was gliding towards, he thought, you know, plunging into the Atlantic and certain death, he was thinking about his mother and his father. Mm-hmm. And um, his, his apparition appeared. Right. Now, yeah, yeah, the project I, I was talking about was the, the Stargate project, and uh-huh. I've had I, over the years I've had several of the that particular unit on the show, including the the gentleman that coined that name. Uh, but uh, it's intriguing stuff, and I'd love to do some experiments with that. We should, probably should. Well, you're going to build a Stargate. No, not that. <laughs> I could build, I, if I could build a stockade, I would build a stockade. I hate traveling, you know that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so we need yeah. local stockades. <laughs> yeah, you have trouble. You have trouble going down to East Bridgewater through Boston. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, as you may or may not know, I have taken up a new project, which is sea surfing. I had noticed. Yes, uh, I've I become a great I, sea serpent hunter now. Oh, God. Well, as you know, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of years interested in Loch Ness Monster and related mm-hmm. sea monsters. I uh, have quite a small collection of books. Um, so, yeah, fascinating. And, of course, I was particularly fascinated uh, when I was over there because, is it York? Uh, upon the main coast has got... Uh, had that fascinating case that, that lasted... Uh, a period of weeks, didn't it? The people no, were able talking to, about Gloucester. Gloucester, sorry. People were able to uh, come from far and wide to mm-hmm. witness this this uh, sea monster, Creature. this sea serpent, basking um, off the coast of Gloucester. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, a, a, a very interesting and a very compelling case because. You have, oh, there's more. There's more. Yeah, well, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just talking about the Gloucester one. Um, right. Oh, there's last... even more to that because I've been digging into the files of the eyewitnesses' uh, test, uh, testimony uh-huh. uh, as preserved by, oh, God, I can't think of it, Harvard University, basically. Uh, it's a group out of Harvard University, and uh, it's fascinating stuff. Stay tuned because it will – we were putting this all together in a in a uh, documentary, which you'll be able to uh, see. Actually, I look forward to it. Mm. So, anyways, I know that's one of your favorites, and uh, hopefully, uh, well, Lisa, I will hope. Uh, I hope I'm not going to hear that bloody trailer from last year. Well, you may. The Sea Monster trailer from last year that went on forever and ever and ever. Mm. Because last year, I think my talk was about the Loch Ness Monster and Sea Monsters, wasn't it? No, it was like two years ago. No. Yes. Last year was was what? We're talking about Spirit Quest, anyways. Spirit Quest always has a theme. The theme last year was the... I can't remember. In Search of... Yeah, I did In Search of Sea Monsters. No. Yes, I did. Yeah, I know you did. Because you <laughs> bought those wonderful coins with the L on them from Washington. right. Stuff. Yeah, which I gave one to my son for Christmas. There we are, then. Because you gave me two. Because that's a sweet guy you are. Yeah, I'm good like that. Yeah. Anyways, so CMOSs, I'm excited about. I'm, I'm learning a lot about it and tracking them. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. And uh, there are some... I want to get to the root of this. This is this is really intriguing stuff. The more I do it, and you know, you know what's really interesting about it is that you have probably a better chance of 
proven or disproven the existence of sea monsters than you do of ghosts. You know, I can't disagree with that. Um, you know, when I first went up to Loch Ness, um, I just went because, hey, it was Loch Ness, and I thought it would be cool. Right? I thought it would be a cool place to go. I didn't really, you know, I, I'd, I'd been interested in the Loch Ness monster since I was a child, but mm-hmm. and I had a couple of sort of paperback books on the subject. Um, but when I went up there, and I saw for myself the loch, and I spoke to people around the loch who lived there and worked there and had their own experiences, and put them together with, you know, a better understanding of the geography of the area, mm-hmm. it became very apparent that these people were not imagining what they were seeing, and that you could There'd be put, something there. You could put something very big in Loch Ness, and people wouldn't see it unless they looked very hard and were very fortunate and you know what you know it it, it it's not in the news every day and that's more down to the fact that there is no mechanism to report Loch Ness sightings any longer there used to be the Loch Ness uh, investigation bureau uh, based at, um, in one of the towns along the, the Loch side but now the tourists um I've got nowhere to report them. The occasional one gets through to the newspapers or, or the media, um, but there are still, there are still a number of sightings every single year, um, mm-hmm. made up and around the shores of Loch Ness. But what's for me, what was the most intriguing were the were the accounts from the people who spent their entire working day on the lock side. They lived on the side of the lock, overlooking the lock. They worked in the fields surrounding the lock or in the guest houses or farms that, that surrounded the lock. Many of them actually worked on the lock on the fish farms or um, in the boating and leisure industries that were there. And there were, in fact, the majority of them had, could tell you a story relating to the Loch Ness Monster. Mm-hmm. And these people... Yeah, people would argue, skeptics would say, like Joe Nickel would say around and say, oh, well, they have a vested interest, they're part of the tourism industry. They didn't strike me as having a vested interest. And these explanations that people like Nickel throw up, it was a, you know, it was a rock, it was an upturned boat, it was a seal, it was a dolphin, it was an elephant. Mm. Uh, A nonsensical... I'm not a Trump and a complete nonsense, a complete, uh, completely nonsensical because I, I'm not, you know, I'm no expert on things of the water and maritime things. And, and, but at no point did I find myself confused or fooled by, by small boats or by the occasional dolphins that we saw or boat wakes or wind waves or you said something events. very very key steve and you're talking about the people that live there and work yeah. there so they they know what's in the lock they know what the lock looks like they know exactly. what a lock looks like exactly. they know what all that stuff is so yeah i mean i i on my as I say, as I was, as I was saying, I don't know anything about the water, about you know, sort of the maritime things. But I was at no point was I fooled by normal things, boat wakes and wind waves and things like that. And I can't, for the life of me, see how these people who see the lock every single day would would also be fooled by the things that Nickel claims that they're being fooled by. It just makes no sense whatsoever. These people are seeing a genuine something in the waters of Loch Ness. 
they they know that there is something there and that they are seeing it on a regular basis so much so that they just accept it you know in a matter-of-fact sort of way they don't get excited when they see the monster they don't rush around telling everybody when they see the monster um or whatever it might be right what also intrigues me is that the consistency of the sightings i mean these have been reported through history and mm-hmm. the descriptions are all very, very, very similar mm-hmm. in different in different areas in different parts of the world. Uh, so you know we you know we call it the monster, you know, but I mean basically we're talking about uh, an, an unknown species, I guess. Is yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you live you live on the uh, east coast of the United States. I live on the west coast of the United Kingdom, directly facing each other across the Atlantic. Um, our west coast here in West Wales, um, there are 30 or 40 documented accounts of sea serpents or, or sea monsters. And they are remarkably similar to the accounts from New England and down the American eastern seaboard. They're remarkably similar. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, okay, we speak the same language, you know, for um, our, our two nations have traded back and forth across the sea for nearly 400 years. Um, it's not surprising that there's a lot of sort of interchange in, uh, between the two, but as you say, the, the the similarity in these accounts and in the descriptions, and in the not just in the description of physical appearance, but in the manner in which the thing moves. Exactly. The way it moves through, you know, it, it's not something people are making up. They're seeing something. And, and you know what's intriguing, too, is, is there are these illustrations from all over the world as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just like an English-speaking exactly. illustration. You can find these in different languages and different books that go back centuries. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it's, I, it's really intriguing. You've got accounts from – I mean, we give great, great credibility to uh, witness testimony in, in paranormal sightings and when, when it's a police officer or when it's a, um, you know, some other upstanding member of the community. But you've got uh, attested uh, reports from ca- uh, captains of Royal Naval ships. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, in fact, I think there's even a couple from the U.S. Navy um, where commanders of U.S. Navy ships have, have offered the reports of their own encounters and experiences. But these people are not going to sign a document that says, you know, our ship's company saw a sea monster, signed Captain HMS, etc. Right, right. Unless they are absolutely sure of what they, what they have seen. And, and, you know, we understand that there are similar creatures that are... are in the world today, like the oarfish and the, the uh, conger eel, and but similar is not the same. In other words, there are the descriptions don't quite match the oarfish or the conger eel or, or whatever else that that some no, of the uh, no, people don't. put up. There is, there is. I mean, and we're constantly discovering new species. Mm-hmm. Um, even, and I'm not just talking about you know at the depths of the you know sort of Mariana's Trench. I'm talking mm-hmm. about you know even inshore, big big fish, you know quite quite large species of, of new fish are being discovered. Marine creatures are being discovered. It was only it was only within very recent years that the giant squid 
right. was was discovered to be not a mythical. No, that was the octopus, yeah. right? And it and it was discovered it wasn't a mythical creature. The thing actually exists. Mm. So, right. you know, I mean, for me, the account that came from Gloucester when when I was reading the book uh, that you, you you gave to me, uh, and I, I remember sitting out at the beach house, and I consumed the book from cover to cover. Uh, Did you really? In the week I was there, the God week, bless you. It was because it fascinates because it fascinates me. Mm. Uh, what fascinated me most was the longevity of the of the experience. It yeah. went on for days. People were able to travel up from New York and the surrounding states to come and see this thing for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now. They're not going to be fooled by, you know, by a, a walrus hauling out on the rock or a... I mean, these people were... A lot of the witnesses were experienced fishermen mm-hmm. from, from, you know, the, the seaports of Gloucester. Right, which is a, you know, a seafaring town. They make their living by... The sea. And they spend all of their days at and alongside the sea, much as right. those people around Loch Ness. Exactly. You're not going to fool them. And let's be honest, fishermen are not a, they're not, you know, they're not prone for it to, to imagine. Uh, no, and they're not, uh, not they're basically a no nonsense uh, people. They, you well, know, they are. I mean, I know, I, you know, I know people in the fishing industry and mm-hmm. they are the most matter of fact. Uh, sort of they have a great of respect for the sea. They, they, they understand the sea because uh-huh. that's, they live and die by the sea, basically. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's intriguing stuff, and so stay tuned. This 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 yeah, documentary work is going to be. Looking forward to that one. I'm, I'm quite envious, it. actually. Really? Well, of course. I mean, it's small. No, I'll just have to find you a partner. That's, that's all. <laughs> Told you. I'm, you know me. You've got great whites in that water up there, big bitey bitey ones, and I'm having the. I'm staying on land. You wimp. <laughs> I was. I was. What are you afraid? Just, what are you afraid? You're going to lose a leg. Uh, possibly. Oh, okay. I was fine until uh, I discovered that the bloody great whites up in New England beach themselves and jump out of the water. That's, that's yeah, but only, only at the seals. You don't look like that's seals. cheating. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's seen, like did, have, you, have, have you ever seen those wildlife films? They actually that's what they do. They come flying in on the beach and they'll grab a, a seal right off the beach. I've seen I've seen video footage of orca doing it. Yeah, oh, orca, that's what I was thinking about, right, I'm sorry, yeah. I was thinking of the orca, and and they take the seals and they actually throw yeah. them up in the air and bat them, it's like, holy yeah. crap, <laughs> I don't want to mess with them. They say nature's cruel and unkind. Right, same with seals, they go on icebergs, they'll actually, not icebergs, but ice, ice drifts, and they'll actually butt the ice drift to, to try to turn them over. Well, I was watching a video... Only they ain't a few, stupid, let's put it that way. I was watching a video only a few weeks ago of... Um, there was... I think it was off the Californian coast, and uh, where Dylan is. Um, and um, it was a small small pleasure boat, maybe 25, 30 foot long, and this, this baby seal leaps onto the back of it, straight out the water. Yeah. Um, to the sort of surprise and amusement of the of the, the people, in, you know, sort of boating round on this thing, mm-hmm. just as the seal lands on the back deck of this pleasure craft, uh, then up bobs the the sort of fin and head of a great white shark. Lovely. That seal got out of the water pretty darn quick. Damn smart <laughs> seal. <laughs> <laughs> 
as indeed I would have done. <laughs> but what uh, anyway. I didn't know, because, you know, with Discovery of Shark Week, what I didn't know is that when the, this is off the South African coast, when the great white sharks are patrolling up and down trying to catch a seal, right. the seals, and you see it, we do see it here, you know, with birds of prey, um, where you get rooks and seagulls and other birds chasing them and f- sort of following them around. Well, it's exactly the same with the seals and the great white shark. So the great white right. shark is cruising up and down trying to get lunch. And immediately behind them are 20 or 30 seals all following him around because if they can see him, they can get away. Mm. It's only when they can't see the shark that they become in trouble. Mm. So what they do is when the great white shark appears, they all sort of swim along behind him, watching what the shark's doing. Of course, they can outswim the shark. Um, providing they know where he is, right? <laughs> and so they all they all follow this great white up and down the coast. <laughs> yeah, it's it, we we Crazy. just got it. We we have a great white off the coast of New England now. It's just one of the ones that was tagged, I guess, is is yeah. uh, moved into new areas. And and you know, I mean, South Africa. You mentioned South Africa. South Africa has the nets that they actually put up mm-hmm. to try to keep the great whites out of the swimming areas. Well, we're gonna have uh, to get them on Salisbury Beach now. <laughs> I, I'm trying to last, think of last time I saw you swimming in the water. Mm, it would be a very long time. Never. <laughs> I, I got nervous when we went on the gondola last year. <laughs> the, um, Why, are you afraid we, are we going to freeze to death? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank God for Dunkin' Donuts and Hot Chocolate. God, it was cool. Anyway. <laughs> I got one more but, topic I want to bring up before. I was just going to add that uh, last year there was a great white sighting off the Welsh coast as well. Um, that oh, was wow. caught on camera, caught on video camera by one of our wildlife um, teams. Yeah, there was. Um, uh, oh, no, there, well, it's not really surprising because we're you know we're at the similar latitudes and right. There was actually a, an Irish diver who was attacked. He was bitten in the face by a sea serpent, what he believed was a sea serpent. They think it was a conger, conger eel, but uh, he believed it was. That was not, that was recently not, you know. Well, there's also, there's also the moray eel as well, isn't there? Yeah, the moray eel is pretty nasty too. Yeah. But the conger, I guess, is a little bit bigger though and, and more vicious. The conger, the moray usually is like in rocks and stuff, right? Uh-huh. It's, most of the time, because that's what they do. You just sit there and well, yeah. fish, fish I, I, I know they grab them. And... Yeah, I know from our local fishermen, there's there's some big con- uh, hot spots off the Welsh coast uh, around the docks and the quaysides of uh, yeah, Milford so Haven, and they anyway, go down there. Uh, one more topic I did want to bring up. Yep. Uh, first of all, I, before I forget, don't forget Steve will be joining me up here in New England. On September 27th, 28th, and 29th for Spirit Quest. Uh, get your tickets now. Uh, they are selling. And it should be a great time. It's a good good set of uh, speakers and so forth. So it's called the X-Files this year. So really cool. And, X-Files. And- oh, crap. <laughs> I've re- I'll have to retitle that talk. I thought it was the Sex Files. No, not the Sex Files. I'll have to rework that talk pretty quickly. It's like... Goat sex. Yeah. 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 Richard Felix joke. He said that at every time. <laughs> you can't say that. He did. No, every... you can't mention that now. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. 
<clears throat> that never that that conversation never took place. <laughs> it's only a dream. It's only a dream. Anyways, uh, one thing, and we are running up just about out of time. Is is that I've been noticing looking. I've been looking at some videos and things, and orbs are getting like really really popular. But not just okay. with the the ghost people, but with the UFO people and the religious people. I know. We all are taking orbs. Uh, you know, it's the same orb, but yet, yet it means so many things for just different well, people. Well, I mean, the the orb was always always was kind of adopted by the ufologists as well, um, mm. but they they tended to be the outdoor ones. Uh, right. Obviously, you know, you don't get many UFOs indoors. Um, and, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, go wind the clock back ten years. The orb phenomena was pretty dead in the water. Most investigators had come to the conclusion... 20 uh, years ago, it was really hot. Yeah, it, 20 years ago, it was a hot topic. 10 years ago, it was dead in the water. Most most investigators then had come to the conclusion uh, by whatever means that what they were dealing with was, not, was a perfectly normal thing. In recent years, particularly the last 18 months, uh, the orb phenomena has once again surfaced. Yep. The new generation of investigators have rediscovered the phenomena all again, all over again, but have forgotten or, or, or have forgotten. No, it... Well, it goes back to what we said at the start of the show. Because of their blinkered view with their fingers wedged tightly in their ears, they haven't looked back over all of the existing research that's been done that would save them a whole heap of time and trouble. Going back over, you know, so it's like being on a hamster wheel. Every few years, the same phenomena resurfaces, gets argued and debated and promoted and debunked, and then fades away. And the next thing comes along, but it's the same thing that it, it you know, that was done twenty years before that and twenty years before that. And this is why, you know, we do need to remember. Where investigators do need to utilize the resources, look back in the history, read a bloody book occasionally. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't kill a few of them. I just listen to the show. We'll straighten you out. Or just listen to the straighten you out. Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, I mean, there are plenty of good books. There's Ghost Chronicles. Yeah, there are. There are. Uh, Once there's the, Ghostology. The, there's uh, there's there's plenty. I mean, there are some. <laughs> there's no shortage of material for them to. We, uh, we have a we have a uh, show on 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 in the U.S. I believe it's on a travel channel. It is on a travel channel. It's called Paranormal Caught on Tape. Yeah, I and know. You, do you know it? We have it too. Yeah, and and nine. I mean, it, it's if I got like I'm before I fall asleep, I might put it on. <laughs> uh, but most of the evidence they collected there are orbs. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a, a, a great many orbs in this show. Well, you look at the look at the nature of the evidence that has been presented on television, um, or on yeah. Facebook, or on YouTube, or on Facebook or YouTube, or even in the press. It's all in the sixth season on YouTube. You know, where, yeah. where I mean, show it is. The, you know, the orb is not going away. I mean, it will fade again in another couple of years. It will be you know old old. I don't think it's going to fade. Be people because people can well, get orbs and, well, it and it's their proof. You know that. Yeah, but that, it did. But you know, yeah. the previous generation, you know, managed to 
debunked it to their own satisfaction. Agreed. Then we've got this new generation who are rediscovering it. In time, they'll debunk it, and they'll move on to something will. else. Oh, I think as long as there are TV shows that are they're pushing it, then... Well, there's a new TV show coming soon, Naked Ghost Hunters. Oh, good. They're, uh, they're casting for it now. So if you yeah, know, no, we, we had already if, received some of those things. Are you, get, are you up for it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> they asked me, but I said I haven't got the legs. <laughs> anyway, we do have to go. It's one. Well, we got a minute left. Uh, by the way, if you're you're interested in tickets uh, to Ghost, uh, what is it? Spirit Quest X Files this fall. It's uh, nigoesproject.com. The letter N, the letter E. Ghostproject.com. Com, and you can get them there. Be there or miss out. Yeah, and uh, Steve, uh, you can find out all about Steve and all his amazing books because he's such a prolific author, author now uh, on his site. Yeah, no salt snap. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so I guess we've touched a, a good set of... Uh, That's the world puts the rights so, again. Yep, so anyway... Uh, glad the conference went well for you. Uh, it was a very enjoyable I, day. Oh, I have mine coming up in uh, July something or other, which yeah. is the Ocean State Paracon. So I'll come on down and visit me. It's the whole weekend. I'll be there. So Big event with all the stars. Yeah, if you say so. So there's the tunes. we got to go. Till next time, good night. God bless. Farewell. Mm. Was it fairly well? to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.